You're listening to Stage Combat, a mental health story of what really happened behind the scenes at the Goodspeed Opera House in East Haddam, Connecticut, during its 2019 production of Billy Elliot, the musical. Stage Combat is a true story of the narrator's personal experience during his mental health journey from 2019 to 2023. This podcast contains actor portrayals of actual events. The names of the members of the cast of Billy Elliot have been changed. Stage Combat contains strong language and addresses mental illness. Check the show notes for more details. Haywood Productions LLC offered Goodspeed Musicals, Inc., and the Goodspeed Opera House Foundation, Inc., the opportunity to include a statement in each episode of Stage Combat, including an option to deny the events as depicted. They declined. Haywood Productions also offered Goodspeed's artistic director and managing director the opportunity to appear on this podcast to discuss the narrator's account of his experience at the Goodspeed Opera House. They both declined. It's late Friday night in East Haddam, and something's afoot at the Opera House. Earlier that day, General Manager Rachel Tischler called me because Chad reported me to HR for... Tension backstage. Only Rachel's not telling me the truth. That Chad actually unleashed heinous allegations against me. Rachel, there's some things about Sean Hayden you should know about racial slurs and criminality. And Rachel personally called Chad in those lies. As far as Actors' Equity is concerned, that information was not told to him. But the stage manager, Bradley G. Spockman, has told me one thing in my dressing room. Chad reported that you scratched his face during a performance. And Chad reported that to management. Yet another lie by Chad. After I speak with Spockman in my dressing room, I drive back over to my housing and turn off the car. Wait a minute. Any actor knows that if you do have a legitimate issue, in a stage combat sequence, you take it to the fight captain, who can then correct it. Did Chad take it to the fight captain? I get out of my car and walk in the dark over to Aaron's house. I sort of feel like I'm Angela Lansbury trying to piece together a mystery in Caput Cove because no one will tell me what's really going on in East Haddam. Aaron comes out on his porch. A scratching incident? Nope. He says he wasn't aware of it happening, and he told Rachel Tischler that. And Chad did not report the scratch when he says it happened. He waited a couple of days. He also never requested a correction rehearsal. You would typically ask for one if there was actually an issue. As I start to leave, Aaron says, By the way, Chad never had any scratches on his face. This is Season 1, Episode 8 of Stage Combat. Splat. Back at the Opera House, Bradley G. Spockman is preparing a late-night email to Donna Lynn Hilton and Rachel Tischler. 
Sean met with me for a healthy 20 plus minutes after the show to express his frustration and fear that he's being railroaded. He said he's doing his best not to engage with Chad in any way outside the character track. Back in my living room, I'm also sending an email to Rachel Tischler. After speaking with Brad today, as well as our fight captain, I would like a sit down with you and Donna Lynn, please. Unfortunately, this young man, Chad, is creating a harassing environment that is making it very difficult for me to do my job in Billy Elliot. When can we chat? It's Saturday morning, and I wake up feeling beaten up. Rachel Tischler has responded to my email request for a meeting, but she says something really puzzling. I would be glad to have another conversation, but to my knowledge, there have been no new events since last week, and I am having these conversations in order to get the story straight. No new events? Step one, discredit your perceived adversary to the Goodspeed hey, resident stage Can I talk manager. to you for a minute? The guys are still at loggerheads. So he comes up to me backstage. Step two, the Broadway director. What the fuck? That pisses me off. Box office. Wardrobe. No. Nothing. I think we take those concerns out of this equation. Step three, Goodspeed's head of human resources. I'm doing some outside investigation on Racial slurs. Temporary restraining. Sean Hayden called me a fact. Someone who is violent. Sean. Bigoted. And homophobic? Sean. That's the dad in Billy Chad's report has essentially begun an official investigation into Sean's We have launched into investigation Thank you for truly having an open-door policy. Spoke to Actors' Equity Association this morning. like we are unraveling the Zelensky Jeffrey Bateman is Chad's equity rep. He did not share that information with Chad. It's... Disturbing to think that Chad would be untruthful about this. Chad reported that you scratched his face during a performance. By the way, Chad never had any scratches on his face. This is very concerning. As for me, I only know about the false assault claim. I reply to Rachel. Because we now have a fabricated event on our hands. I am deeply deeply concerned about the unpredictability of this young man and his interference with me being able to perform a very demanding role. Needless to say, the stress brought on by this gentleman is really taking its toll on me. I am respectfully requesting the theater to address the current situation with him. Rachel Tischler doesn't offer to meet with me today. She offers me a phone call for tomorrow. I walk over to the opera house to try to level my head so I can perform the matinee. My mental state is really feeling frayed. And while I don't know the full extent of what Chad has done, I do know a lot has happened up to this point. Sorry. Oh, we had a stumble there. What happened? I'll talk to you in private. Stop, stop. That is too hard. <sighs> that wasn't too hard. I don't feel safe on stage with you. You've been a complete waste of space since Mom Chad died. reported that you scratched his face during a performance. 
And for some reason, a stage manager I cannot be in anyone's camp. And a director I cannot be in anyone's camp. who do not seem willing to help me. And I don't know why. I put on my miner's costume and walk on stage and start the opening number. Only today, Chad decides for the first time to change the director's staging. If you're an actor, you know you can't do that. Our union contracts prohibit that. To change the director's staging is a bold thing to do. And the director has staged a moment in which the miners celebrate hearing they are going on strike. Chad as Tony is supposed to come over to me as his dad to celebrate this news. But instead, Chad has decided not to cross over to me. Now, Chad is in a different place on stage than he's supposed to be. The full cast is on stage and moving around. There's a chance someone will be injured. At that moment, something happens in my brain. A voice is telling me, that there will always be turmoil in this production of Billy Elliot as long as Chad is in it. I hear Rachel Tischler's voice saying as much. I don't think this will be the last time that you hear from him. I think you're right. Suddenly, flashes of dizziness hit me during this opening number. It's a sensation I've never felt before. I weave in and out of cast members as the number is staged. The dizziness continues. I feel like I could faint at any moment. The opening number concludes, and I become occupied with the business of my first scene, and the dizziness starts to dissipate. After the matinee, director Gabriel Berry sends me a text. Great show. Keep up the good work. I guess that's more useful than love, love, love with all your might. I grab something to eat between shows, but I'm feeling really spooked out by what happened to me in the matinee, because that's never happened before. I'm feeling alone and unsupported. I feel like the people at the good speed are keeping something from me. Everything that I dreamed about with Billy Elliot seems to be unraveling right before my eyes. Just before the evening performance, I email Bradley G. Spockman. Brad. In fairness to my understudy, I'm letting you know, at some point, my body is going to give out. I almost fainted today during the opening number from stress. I'm holding on until the understudy feels comfortable to go on, but I know my body, and it's headed into a down cycle. At 8 p.m., the curtain goes up on the second performance of the day for Billy Elliot. The full cast is on stage for the opening number. Once again, Chad doesn't cross over to me as he's been directed. My dizziness returns. It smacks me up against my head. It's clear to me that something's not right in my body. Not just at that moment, 
all through the performance. I keep feeling flashes of dizziness. As the performance progresses and I move across the stage, I fear I will fall. I fear falling off the set's upper gallery. Falling down the staircases, I have to climb backstage. Falling down the circular staircase on stage. Falling down the staircase on wheels that I climb as cast members move it across the stage. And I keep feeling this tearfulness under my breath. But I know it's not related to the performance of Dad. It's what I, Sean, it's what I'm feeling. As I travel between my scenes, I hear this whimper under the orchestra, like the faint sounds of a wounded animal. I'm not really sure where it's coming from until I realize it's coming from me. There's something happening inside of me. At intermission, I climb down the stairs to my dressing room and throw some cold water on my face. Act two starts. I carry most of the act, so there's a lot of stuff to do. The business of what I have to do in the show is keeping me distracted from what's going on inside my body, for the most part. I'm in my last real scene of the show. We're saying goodbye to Billy before he heads off to London to study ballet. Billy goes up on my shoulders, and then he comes down. The miners all sing, and we disappear behind a scrim on the stage. I take a huge breath. My show is over for the night, except for a final tableau. But then suddenly, the weight of everything I've been feeling comes crashing down in my head. Through my body, a monumental wave. So much weight. I'm losing control. And before I can get off the stage, I completely collapse. Splat. And here we are. On the other side from where our story started. I'm flat on my stomach. I'm vaguely aware of Billy on the other side of the scrim playing to the audience. From the floor, I see Martha standing off in the wings, still costumed as my mother. She sees me and yells, Sean! And I see my body on the floor as I float over it. I see my arm reach towards Martha. Suddenly, someone drags me into the wings. For a few seconds, I lose consciousness. Naomi, the assistant stage manager, has her hands all over my mining costume. She's trying to get me out of it. I'm breathing heavily, and I'm sweating, and I don't know what is happening to me. This has never happened before. But then it all starts to come together. 
I just collapsed. And I'm aware that this panic that I'm feeling at this moment is from the chaos at the good speed. It's from the chaos involving Chad. My understudy Larry, he's sitting next to me on a huge block in the wings. He says, It's okay, buddy. As he pats my back. There's a sudden rush in my head. Everything that has happened in the past 11 days, swirling and rushing and taking me with it. I lose it. I start crying in Larry's arms. I'm sobbing uncontrollably in the arms of my understudy. That is what is happening here. They have to do something. And voluntarily comes out of my mouth as I'm crying. There's a moment when I become aware of what I just said. And I say it again, owning it as I continue to sob. They have to do something. I'm in a full mental health crisis mode. I'm supposed to appear in one last scene, a tableau on the upper gallery as Billy exits through the house with a suitcase. Martha tells me not to climb up the circular staircase for the tableau. Naomi nods in agreement, and I stay seated in the wings. I watch cast members move up the circular staircase just a few feet away from me for the tableau. And then I look up at Naomi because she looks like she wants to say something. Thoughts are flashing across my brain in a haze. Naomi saw me dragged off the stage. She saw me sobbing. She heard my declaration. I will finally be heard. This bullshit at the good speed will finally be over. Naomi looks at me and says, Can you do the finale? The finale. Okay. My mind immediately diverts to the finale. Like a dog being thrown a bone, I start thinking about the choreographed curtain call that tells a story. It's a story of dad leading the community in tutus to support Billy. I start thinking if dad isn't leading that, the curtain call won't make any sense to the audience. That's distraction at work. I say to Naomi, I have to, it won't make any sense. And although I'm weak, it's what gets me up on my feet. Someone puts on my tap shoes and that damn tutu. I wipe the tears from my face and I stand up in the upstage wing waiting for my entrance. Directly across from me in the opposite wing is Chad. He has no idea what's been happening in the wing where I've been sobbing. The orchestra starts playing. I step out onto the stage with tear-filled eyes. I flounce my arms around as Chad and I move downstage towards the audience. As usual, the audience laughs and erupts in applause. Those sounds seem to whip across my body. My face is plastered with a cartoonish forced smile. 
laughter and applause, laughter and applause. And it feels like the entire opera house is on a tilted axis, slowly spinning topsy-turvy, fueled by the vibrations of the applause. But no, that can't be happening. The audience continues to applaud. And I think, are they being entertained? Look at that. I'm freaking Russell Crowe and Gladiator in front of an audience who has no idea of the pain on this stage. But don't mind me. I'm just a man who is fading away into the black. Haywood Productions offered The Goodspeed the opportunity to include a statement within this episode. The Goodspeed declined. Goodspeed's artistic director and managing director declined an invitation to appear on this podcast to discuss the narrator's account of his experience at the Goodspeed Opera House. Coming up on the next episode of Stage Combat, a mental health story. So, last night I had my first panic attack and I collapsed on stage and I was dragged off into the wings. And as I go through my panic symptoms, and shorter breath, my heart was racing. Something strange is happening in this call. And I just started sobbing uncontrollably in, in Larry's arms. In Neither Rachel Tischler nor Donna Lynn Hilton is saying one word about what happened to me. Stay tuned for a post-show talkback with Sean and his guest, psychologist Dr. Elisa Hurwitz. I was laying on the floor, could not move, and yet also saw myself over my body. Yeah. At the same time, I'm aware of myself on the floor. Yeah. And so there's a trauma symptom there, which is depersonalization. So disconnecting from your physical body because it feels so acutely unsafe that you can't even be in your physical body. It's as if you're re-experiencing the trauma. That's coming up now. Hello, listeners. This is Sean Hayden here, back for our post-show talkback. And I just want to say, I know that was... Kind of a tense episode of Stage Combat, which dramatized my first panic attack and my collapse on the good speed stage. And I'm sure it was triggering for many of you. I'm just so grateful that you share that episode with me and that you're staying here with me. And please know that I'm with you and together we've got this. And we've also got with us Dr. Elisa Hurwitz. Thank you so much for coming back to Stage Combat for this episode. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for sharing your story because every time somebody uses their platform to share about, you know, their mental health, it helps take a brick out of the wall of stigma. Yeah. And that's why these conversations are so important to me because I didn't have any vocabulary. I had no idea what was happening to me. So let's just talk about 
what is a panic attack? I think panic attack is being used in so many different ways today. But for someone who just doesn't know or hasn't experienced one, what are we talking about in general when we say a panic attack? Yeah, panic attack is really kind of the extreme of anxiety, of acute anxiety. Your body is responding as if you were in a life or death situation, even though you're not. It's so it's, it feels unsafe in a way that is primal. There's some pretty intense physical manifestations, and not all of these happen for everybody, and some do and some don't. But symptoms like difficulty breathing, hyperventilating, some people feel like they're having a heart attack. Um, that's, that's often how that presents um, in an ER situation. And there's no cardiac symptoms, but there is a, a tightness in the chest related to the, to the respiratory distress that that's symptomatic distress that's happening. Although again, the person is, is safe. It's not unsafe in terms of heart and lungs, um, heart and resp- respiration. If you could have a sense of feeling like you are, you have to run out of the place or completely frozen. I could not move. I, they had to drag me off. So I was, I was laying on the floor, could not move. And yet also saw myself over my body. Yeah. At the same time, I'm aware of myself on the floor. Yeah. And so there's a trauma symptom there, which is depersonalization. So disconnecting from your physical body because it feels so acutely unsafe that you can't even be in your physical body. It's as if you're re-experiencing the trauma. That's a symptom that people experience in trauma, during trauma, and then can be symptomatic as well. And so, yeah, people do use the term panic disorder or panic attack in a vernacular sense, just like, oh, I'm so depressed in a vernacular sense, and it doesn't mean the same thing. Although, you know, language evolves, right? And so there is a, there is a vernacular sense of that, you know, that is distinct from a diagnostic uh, definition. I think that the risk is just that it maybe minimizes what really is happening, you know, for depression or for OCD or for panic attack. So if someone says something, and, and they don't mean any harm, but they say, oh, I had a panic attack when I saw the prices on the menu. <laughs> yeah, <So. laughs> right, right, exactly. And how does a panic attack differ from an anxiety attack? People use the term anxiety attack, which really is not a diagnostic term that we use or a symptomatic term that we use, although we do use panic attack as a term. Would we use anxiety disorder? Is that what we would be looking for? Yeah, or feeling anxious, right? You can be feeling anxious acutely, but you know, it's not it's not a term that we use to, you know, in the field to describe anxiety per se. And so whereas a panic attack is a distinct episode and somebody can acutely feel anxiety, be 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 anxious. Um, and it's also a matter of degrees. And panic attacks, true panic disorder is much less common than I think, you know, than people commonly use the term. It is not common. Anxiety disorders and anxiety, you know, feeling anxious is super common, super, super common. I would say that just for, for an understanding sense that the biggest distinction is, is a matter of intensity and degree. So I know in my personal case, you know, you had the extreme when I collapsed and then you would have, I would have these other episodes where I was getting hit with the dizziness, shortness of breath. So is that a form of a panic attack, but it's just not as intense as the first one that I experienced? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it can be. You know, if you are so anxious acutely that you cannot function, that's a pretty good sign that you're having a panic attack. And it's a very physical experience. Whereas sometimes anxiety, feeling anxiety acutely can be mostly cognitive thoughts. Whereas a panic, a panic attack 
is very physiological. And then there are thoughts associated with that, like, I'm going to die. And when we say physiological, we're meaning? The physical symptoms, the, the increased heart rate, the hyperventilation, you know, tightness in the chest, which is not cardiac, but feels that way. This is how people present in the ER. They think they're having a heart attack, and it's, and it's really a panic attack. And so when we're talking about, we referred to earlier, an anxiety disorder, what does that refer to? Anxiety disorder really is the umbrella term for the array of diagnosable anxiety disorders, everything from post-traumatic stress disorder to a specific phobia to panic disorder to generalized anxiety disorder. So it's really the umbrella term and panic disorder is under that. So it sounds like to me there's quite a spectrum from if you have the anxiety disorder, then you know physiological symptoms that, you, that may come up versus how many of these sort of combine to create an episode that would approach something that we would call a panic attack. Yeah. And somebody could have multiple anxiety disorders. Somebody can have generalized anxiety disorder and panic disorder, where there is a higher baseline anxiety disorder, and that's the generalized anxiety disorder. And then these acute, very life-intrusive episodes of distinct, intense physical manifestations of anxiety. Well, I think this has been very helpful just to touch the surface, particularly for people who are listening that haven't had this experience or they don't know, or maybe they have someone in their life that experiences. Maybe it gives them a little more understanding. And we just want to remind everyone this should not be considered a substitute for medical advice. So please, by all means, if you're experiencing your own mental health issues, please seek the advice of a mental health professional. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Hurwitz, on this. Thanks for having me. Dr. Elisa Hurwitz is a clinical psychologist in group private practice in New Hampshire. Be sure to follow her at drdrama.com, that's D-R-Drama, and on Instagram at thedrdrama, that's T-H-E-D-R-Drama. Remember, this conversation and this podcast should not be considered a substitute for medical or mental health advice. So if you are experiencing any medical or mental health issues, please seek independent medical advice from a healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Be sure to join us for our season finale, episode nine. It's called Terror. A special thank you to Dr. Elisa Hurwitz for joining us. She'll be back with us in the next episode and we're going to talk about the power of words when it comes to mental health. Stage Combat, a mental health story, is a production of Haywood Productions, LLC. This episode was recorded and edited by Andrew Lynn, and it was directed and read by me, Sean Hayden. A special thank you to the incredible voice actors featured in this episode. Follow us on Facebook, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Stage Combat the Podcast and on Instagram at Stage Combat the Podcast IG. We would love to hear from you. So send us your comments, your questions. Maybe you would like to share your own experience. You can email us at Stage Combat the Podcast at gmail.com. I hope today and every day brings you an opportunity to claim your story. I'll meet you over at the season finale.
If you or someone you know is in crisis or contemplating self-harm, you can reach out to the Suicide in Crisis Lifeline by simply dialing or texting 988. That's 988. Mental health assistance is also available through the National Alliance on Mental Illness. It's a free nationwide peer support service providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. You can call the helpline at 1-800-950-6264 or text HELPLINE to 62640. That's 1-800-950-6264 or by text to 62640.